Every time I come here, this pulpit is getting taller and taller, unless I'm shrinking with old age. But uh, anyway, thank you for your welcome. I am not looking forward to speaking tonight. I spend my life speaking and talking about God's Word, and I try to be as biblical as possible, and then when people give you a topic to speak on, you go, that's interesting. And then when I saw it was emotional doubt, I too had doubts. I deliberately didn't listen to your last Sunday evening talk so I wouldn't be biased. And ever since I've been told that I should be speaking on emotional doubt, I've been thinking about it, thinking, what on earth do I say on such a subject like this? I don't think it's preaching. I think it's more talking. My understanding of preaching is declaring the truth of God from a portion of his word. But I trust that what I say will be helpful. Before we go any further as I speak on emotional doubt, I want to say three things. The first is this, everybody, to my knowledge, talks about doubting Thomas. Oh, Thomas had his doubts. I discovered many, many years ago there was no such person in the Bible called Doubting Thomas. Thomas didn't have any doubts. He was defiant. He said, unless I can take hold of his hand and put my finger there, you know, unless I could grab hold of him, I won't believe. He was very, very defiant. And then along came the Lord Jesus who revealed he understood all that had been said when he wasn't there. And uh, Thomas felt very humiliated. So I don't think we can build our case on doubting Thomas. There's no such character. He was defiant. And who hasn't been defiant with the Lord? And secondly, I believe it's okay to doubt. It's all right to have doubts. So you may come with your doubts. Well, I'm not going to stroke them, but it's okay to have them. When you are nervous about saying something, you find someone who said what you want to say and quote them. Dr. Lloyd-Jones in Spiritual Depression said doubts are not incompatible with faith. Some people seem to think that once you become a Christian, you should never be assailed by doubts, but that is not so. Peter still had faith as he panicked in the storm. It's true, isn't it? At least he got out of the boat. At least he was walking to the Lord Jesus. He panicked, he doubted, but Jesus did not turn his back on him. He reached out to him and lifted him up. And I've come to realize, and I'll show you tonight, that you may spend your entire life struggling with emotional doubts. It's all right. It's okay. And the third thing to say is this. We need to differentiate between doubts and unbelief. Doubt is stumbling over a stone as you walk the Christian road and you find yourself flat on your face going, I didn't anticipate this. Unbelief is seeing the stone there and kicking it. Doubt can't believe, but unbelief refuses to believe. And doubt is honest. I'm having problems here, but unbelief is obstinate. Doubt is that looking for light. I want to get an answer to this. It's bothering me. Unbelief says, I'd rather live in the darkness. I don't want an answer to this. And when it comes to doubting, I think there are two kinds of doubts. There are doubts that take place in our head. And we call those academic doubts. And so I have people who say to me, you know, I, I, I really struggle with the book of Genesis. You know, how, 
how, how could God do this? And I, I said, you know, I've got problems with the book of Genesis too. I struggle with why it took God so long. And then I realized that we're perhaps on a slightly different plane, you know. Uh, and people have real academic problems and they struggle in their heads. I'm really struggling to understand that. And then there are those doubts that we have in our heart. And I don't know which is harder to deal with, doubts in the head or doubts in the heart. Westminster Chapel, a well-known place in the history of English Christianity, is where Dr. Lloyd-Jones was. Before him was Campbell Morgan. Campbell Morgan comes from a small village called Tetbury. And uh, he went to college to train for the ministry, and uh, he came from a Christian home. And when he went to college, he began to hear about Darwin and uh, Huxley, Spencer. And this man who had been brought up in a cocoon Christian environment where nothing really was questioned, suddenly found himself in a theological college where all these things were being thrown in his face. And in the end, Campbell Morgan wrote, and I quote, I reached a point in my Christian life when I was sure of nothing. And I trained in a college which was liberal. That's another story, but I believe it was right that God put me there. But I trained in a college where I saw people come in full of strong belief and leave out having a, not having a clue what they believed. It was said of Descartes, the only thing of which he was certain was his doubts. And one has come across many kind of people like that. But what about God's people? I'm always intrigued by two comments at the end of Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel to do with the resurrection. We're told in Matthew chapter 28 that when the disciples saw the Lord, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's incredible. Here's the Lord Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and the bulk of the people are worshipping him. Some are saying, I'm not so sure. How do you put those together? And then Luke chapter 24, verse 38. Here's the resurrected Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? So here, here are people in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. He says, why have you got doubts in your heart? So again, I'm showing you it's possible to be within arm's reach of Jesus Christ and still have doubts. You say, have you ever had doubts, David? I'll tell the young people. We're having a meeting and they're quizzing me about certain things. And Yeah, there have been times when I've had emotional doubts. I have to say, I don't mean in an arrogant sense, I've never had academic doubts because if God is God, he's God. If God says he's all-powerful and he was here before anything, who am I with the brain the size of a split pea? Who am I to question God? No, if I have problems in my Christian life, it wouldn't be sort of academic head sort of doubts. It's the emotional ones that I found as I've walked along the road and suddenly found myself flat on my face saying, they never told me that in theological college. And how do I answer that when someone asks me a very hard question in the pastorate? When I was growing up, we had a little chorus book. Remember the days, perhaps some of the young people don't realize, but you used to go to church and you came in through the door and they gave you a book. 
if you were kind of moving, you got two books. The traditional hymn book and then a chorus book. And I used to go to Sunday school every Sunday afternoon at quarter past two, and we sang a few choruses out of CSSM chorus book. Number one, a little talk with Jesus makes it right or right. In trials of every kind, praise God, you'll always find a little talk with Jesus makes it right or right. And then I realized as the pastor, it doesn't work. And then I realized Job didn't sing that either. So I have four things I want to say tonight about emotional doubt, and I trust you will find it helpful and biblical. The first is this, doubts can be normal. Doubts can be normal. I once heard Stuart Briscoe, and he recently went to be with the Lord. He said he'd never had a second's doubt in his entire Christian life. And I thought to myself, well, you are unique. Because I don't know too many people who've never at some stage in their life not had a doubt, and some have wrestled with doubts throughout their entire Christian life. And you know, when you turn to God's Word and honestly deal with the Word of God, you're absolutely blown away by what you find. I mean, the most significant person probably in the Old Testament is Abraham, the man of faith. We talk about the faith of Abraham. And when Paul expounds Romans, he goes back to Abraham, man of faith. And the just shall live by faith, just like Abraham. So here's this man who believes God. And God said, through you, I'm going to bring a great nation. Wow. And then he goes down to Egypt. And he's afraid that the people down there will want his wife and bump him off. So he says, she's my sister. I don't think my wife would have taken that graciously. Sister, my boy, you come here. Sister, a half-sister, I'm your wife. Where's the faith there, Abraham? And then God promised this great nation through his loins. So he sleeps with the men. What kind of great faith is that? So I want to say to Abraham, if he was here, Abraham, you are this figure of a man who believes in God, but obviously you wobbled down in Egypt, and you wobbled with your wife. And suddenly we look at this man of faith, and we see that here's a man who believes, and yet there's a kind of unbelief. It's, it's a tension. Isn't that life? Then you've got John the Baptist. He stands by the River Jordan and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wonderful! In six months... He's sending his disciples to Jesus to say, are you really the Messiah? Really? And so Jesus just says to his disciples, just, just tell him what you've seen. Did, uh, did John wobble? And if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, you've got to read Pilgrim's Progress, a most wonderful book. As you read your way through Pilgrim's Progress, you find that Christian and hopeful find themselves in Doubting Castle. See, that's one of the few castles that's not owned by the National Trust. You don't have to pay to go in. And when you go into Doubting Castle, you find this giant called Grim. I love that kind of stuff, Grim the Giant in Doubting Castle. 
Why did John Bunyan, over 400 years ago, write about Doubting Castle and, and this giant called Grimm? Because he knew 400 years ago, Christians sometimes find themselves in Doubting Castle. Even Christian and hopeful. In the grip of Grimm the giant. And then as a pastor over the years, I started pastoring in 1985, before half of you were born. Do you know there was life before you were born? You may find that hard to believe. There was no life before I was born. But, uh, and over the years I've been pastoring, I haven't stopped since 1985. Boy, I've seen many things in the pastorate. And I've dealt with many, many people. And I've seen people who have been very strong in the Christian faith and doing very, very well. And then suddenly it's like a cloud begins to just come over their life. And you can see those, those doubts coming into their mind. They're not as fervent and boisterous and evangelical and ebullient in their faith. And, and then they start to miss. And you say to them, what's the problem? What's the problem? Sometimes it's a personal tragedy. Sometimes it's a moral failure. Sometimes it's outside pressure. Sometimes it's unanswered prayer. And these things make people ask themselves serious questions like, do I really believe this anymore? Am I a hypocrite to carry on coming, pretending I believe it when I'm struggling with doubts? Is Christianity really for me or if I made a mistake? Maybe you said that. Martin Luther said, sometimes I believe and sometimes I doubt. And I would say from personal experience that doubts are a sign that a person has taken their Christianity seriously. It means the wrestling with the real issues of life. That's why I, I love the book of Job. The book of Job is not about healing. If you read your way through the book of Job, not once did Job pray for healing. In fact, no one spoke about healing at all in the book of Job. The book of Job is, is a man wrestling with God. And at the end of the day, I'm not all that sure Job even got an answer. It's a matter of Job, I can't answer this for you because you wouldn't understand, but do you trust me? Do you trust me? And I've come to realize that there are many things in life that are too big for me to understand, and if God explained them, I couldn't understand. I don't even understand DNA. There are times that I don't even understand my wife. And there are times when I don't understand myself. So how can I understand God? But God says, David, I'm not asking you to understand. Do you trust me? And so the book of Job is, is a man wrestling with God. And at the end of the day, God gives Job a glimpse of his power and basically says, Job, do you trust me? Lord, I've got to the state that even if you slay me, I'll trust you. That's why I love the book of Psalms. I mean... I'm not making a cheap swipe at modern hymns. We sing modern hymns in our place. But so many of them are celebratory to the point that it gets boring. 
because life isn't all celebration. And as a pastor, yeah, one of our ladies died on Thursday. We've got another man suffering with severe cancer. And when you're pastoring people and looking out on them, grieving, coping with death, facing eternity, you can't always be celebrating. It's not real life. There are tears. There are pain. There's pain. There's anguish. And I just sometimes wish some of our modern songwriters would just put this celebration on one side for a little while and deal with real issues because that's why I love the book of Psalms. Lord, where are you? Lord, why? Lord, wake up. And let's be quite frank, sometimes you come into God's house when you've got some of these things pressing upon you. You can't just jump around as if they don't exist, but Lord, I'm worshiping you. This is so high, but I'm asking you, Lord, why? But I still love you. Why? So doubts, doubts could be normal. I think we have to understand that. You're not being blasphemous if you have emotional doubts. But secondly, doubts can be symptomatic. Sometimes doubts are symptomatic of other things that are going on. I've come to realize that the Lord Jesus is not easy to follow. He sets a standard nobody else sets. And when you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you are following a different drummer. And the more our society moves away from God, the more we will stand out if we seek to follow Jesus Christ. Folk will go, well, you're an alien. You believe that? You'd... Where do you get that stuff from? Oh, I get it from the Lord Jesus. Ah. The Lord Jesus is not easy to follow. And so, sometimes people have emotional doubts because they're having problems following him. Not always, but sometimes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said on one occasion, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Die to self and to live for Christ. And it is so easy to put your hand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But when the claims of Jesus Christ begin to bite in your life, it's very easy to have an emotional crisis and go, I'm not so sure about this. But really, what the issue is, is not doctrine, it's discipleship. It's problems following him. Now, I've mentioned some of the things that throw us off course. It's called life. And you can't run away from life. You have to face it. But it's what you do when those things face you. And so on one occasion, Dostoevsky, the Russian writer, said, my Hosanna is born out of a furnace of doubt. And so we're back to this business of when things do happen that are out of your control, you don't throw the toys out the pram and have a fit. You worship through the tears and say, Lord, there's a hallelujah coming out of my heart, but it's not easy. But I still love you. But sometimes those emotional doubts are deeper than just 
this is really hurting me. It's because the challenge of following Jesus Christ is getting a bit too near because it means that you have to change. And I've discovered over the years that sometimes people who just abandon Christianity don't abandon over doctrine, they abandon over morals. They want to carry on living as they're doing, but pretending they believe in Jesus, and suddenly that point comes, you can't carry on living like this. It's one or the other. But what happens is that they, they throw up this smoke screen, well, I'm having problems. Yeah, you are having problems in working out your Christianity because that is not Christian. And so sometimes our doubts can be symptomatic of something else. Not always, but sometimes. We need to be aware of that. And we sometimes need to look in the mirror ourselves and say, Lord, what am I running away from? Why am I finding it hard? What really is at the heart of this? And the third thing I would say is, is that doubts can be very deceptive. Remember how in John's Gospel, chapter 6, many so-called disciples of Jesus found him too hard to follow? I mean, at first they jumped on the gravy train, and what a gravy train. Wouldn't, wouldn't you have liked to have seen Jesus at work? Here's a man who just speaks to the leprosy and it disappears. Here's a man who speaks to the dead and they listen. Here's a man who speaks to demons and they flee. Here's a man who speaks to the blind and they see. Wow, I want to follow that man. He's wonderful. I mean, I wouldn't mind a prime minister who could do one of those things. So people jump on the gravy train. And as they're on the gravy train enjoying this great ride with Jesus, suddenly they come across lumps of meat in the gravy that they didn't anticipate and they're hard to chew on. So they jump off the gravy train. And Jesus says to Peter using a kind of colloquial expression, are you jumping as well, Peter? Are you going? What would you do if Jesus said that to you? By the way, there are many people jumping off the church these days. Many people disappearing. Are you going as well? Peter said, Lord, I've thought about it. But I've come to realize that you alone have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. And when people walk away from Christianity under the umbrella of emotional doubts, I want to say to these people, what is it that you are walking to that is better than Jesus? You find me something better, and I'll believe it. But I tell you this, you will find nobody better than Jesus Christ. I've been following him for many years, and I love him. I love him. And you can pick holes in me. I've got more holes in my life than a Marks and Spencer string vest. And you can pick holes in the church, because every church has got faults. But you cannot lay a finger on Jesus Christ. He is perfection itself. And I, I say to people who've got emotional doubts, listen, I've got doubts, I've got issues. 
I live in the same world as you do. But listen, isn't Jesus Christ bigger than these doubts? Show me a greater gospel. Show me a stronger savior. Show me a superior standard. And when I see what people walk out from and walk into, it takes my breath away to think that you have replaced Jesus Christ with this. You're having a laugh. Isn't it amazing that we all have our issues, and my issues are not your issues. And if I told you my issues, you'd go, and we bring him from England? And if, if you told me your issues, I'd say to my wife, I can't believe I go to Belfast for that. We've all got issues. And if you haven't got issues, you're in a family that's got issues. We all have issues that we, we wrestle with, emotional issues. But listen, it's not about issues and people. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ. And a Christian is one who says, Lord Jesus, you are Lord, and I trust you, and I'm totally committed to you, whatever the cost. And people walk away from that, and that's the Lord of your life. You believe in that? Remember how Jeremiah in chapter 2 described his people. He said, my people are like a farmer who had a field. In that field was this beautiful spring that was always bubbling water. But oh, stupid farmer, he sells a field with this spring that's always bubbling 24-7, 365. He buys a field in which there's no spring, but there's a cistern that holds water when it's rain, when it rains. But the trouble is it's cracked near the bottom. It hardly holds anything. And Jeremiah said, you have got rid of a field with living water for a field that is barren with a cracked cistern? You are cracked. My friends, when you have been gripped by Jesus Christ, you say like Simon Peter, Lord, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so doubts can be deceptive. You think you're pretty smart. Yeah, I've, I've got big problems. Yeah, I, I don't believe anymore. And I've met those smart Daleks. Oh, I don't believe anymore. And then you tell people you're a Bible teacher. Poor dab. Look at him. What a waste of a life. Spends all his life teaching the Bible. I believe that one, Sonny. How deceptive. And the final thing to say is this, doubts can be positive. On three occasions since I've been married, I've moved. Just need to qualify that, I've moved house. Still the same wife. Moving is painful. Why is it painful? It makes you realize how much clutter you've got. And then the discussion breaks out, who is the cause of all this clutter? Who's the hoarder? Not me. Well, I didn't put it there. Why have you got so many pairs of shoes? Are you a Melbourne Marcus? Why have you got so many jumpers? I don't know. Where's all those ties come from? And the great thing about moving is this, that you have these kind of periodic times when you declutter in your life and you say, never again. 
until you move next time. Never again. And what is sad, that's what my parents said. Never again. I feel like my parents. And one of the great things about emotional doubt is that it helps you declutter. A bit like COVID. Wow. I don't like talking about COVID because I hope it's in the past. But speaking quite frank with you, it's probably been the worst two and a half years of my, my entire life as a pastor. I thought COVID was going to last a fortnight. So we closed the church for a fortnight and I thought, this is great, two weeks off. You know? And when they were closed, I met with my elder and we fellowshiped together and prayed. I thought, this is very nice, is this? And it went on and on. Is this going to end? And I suddenly realized that the COVID is like a scarifier. Now, I was trained in horticulture, and so whenever I go around, I just look at things from a horticulturalist point of view. Maybe when you go around life, you look at life as an engineer or as a nurse or as a teacher. I look at people's gardens. And people I start with here get nervous. Oh, what's this in our garden? And I see people's lawns that they're scarified. They didn't realize there was so much moss in the lawn. But having scarified the lawn, there's very little left. And it almost seems to me that, that COVID has been like a huge scarifier going through the church and going through my life. It's been very painful and things that I thought were just part and parcel of life have gone. But you know, I, I thank God for them. And I'm one of the few people who say COVID was very painful, but spiritually speaking, even more painful, but I'm thankful for it because it's got rid of a lot of clutter. Spiritual clutter I had in my life. Let's get rid of that nonsense. It doesn't work. It's not true. Let's get rid of it. Let's get back to Jesus. Remember how Nehemiah, in the book of Nehemiah, found a man called Tobias who was in the temple with all his rubbish. And Nehemiah said, let's get all that rubbish out. Get it out. Let's get rid of the rubbish. And sometimes a period of emotional doubt can be like having your life scarified like COVID. It sorts out a few things. And I've come to realize this. Number one, sometimes there is an answer to emotional doubt. Sometimes. And sometimes there isn't. But it puts things in perspective. And so I have a, I have a box in my mind full of question marks, questions I've not got answers to. And therefore, these doubts that come into my life through my reading scripture and through living life and dealing with people. I've got so many questions, but I put those in a box. And my dear old Sunday school, bless him, what a, what a simple man he was in the sense, just quietly told God's word every Sunday. But you know, when I was at college, he wrote to me every week. You try writing a letter every week. Every week, my Sunday school teacher wrote to me. He used to say things to me like this, David, don't let what you know be disturbed by what you don't know. And by the way, David, hold on to your ticket when you go into the tunnel. Because if you come out of the tunnel, it'd be embarrassing if the ticket collector finds you without a ticket. 
He got all that from the book of Hezekiah. It's good stuff. And so I've got this box full of questions. I don't understand. But don't let what you know be disturbed by what you don't know. And so sometimes emotional doubts help us to sort things out. Secondly, emotional doubt makes you really ask, do I really love the Lord Jesus for who he is? You see, if Christianity can be easily dismissed over a few problems you have, it means that your problems are bigger than Jesus. And I find myself saying, wait a minute, David, I've got some big issues. Are they bigger than Jesus? Or is Jesus bigger than them? And I've come to realize, no, no, David, no matter how big your problems are, no matter how big your emotional doubts he is always bigger. And the third thing I would say in closing is this. I have to remind myself every day as a pastor, I live in a broken world full of broken people. Do you know we come to the church and we pretend that, that we're perfect? I'm a broken pastor. I'm married to a broken woman. We both come from broken families. And you were broken too. You're broken by sin and by the world that you live in. And you come from broken families. And we come to church with all our brokenness. That's why we hurt each other so much. Sometimes we do it deliberately, but sometimes we don't. We just do it because we're broken. And you go home and think, I shouldn't have said that. That was so cruel. I didn't mean to, but I've said it. I shouldn't have done that. But people expect perfection from the church. And they go, oh, I'm leaving that church. It's not good. Have you looked at yourself recently? I mentioned it this morning. We come not to put people down. We come to build them up. We come not to hurt them. They're already hurting. We come to try and help them. And so we live in a broken world. And I, as a broken man, pastor broken people. But I'm waiting for the perfect yet to come. Remember how on Palm Sunday... I well understand why the crowd wanted Jesus to go in and to sort everything out and to be king and to be Messiah and to rule. They had the right vision, but they had the wrong time. He's going to do it when he comes back. I long for a perfect church. It will make my life easy. I long for a perfect me. It would save me a lot of prayer. Lord, it's me again. But not yet. And as I live with my brokenness and other people's brokenness and the church's brokenness and struggle with all these different things, I say, Lord, but yet I will trust you. I love those three men who were stood in front of Nebuchadnezzar, threatened with a burning, fiery furnace seven times hotter. I can't think of anything more horrendous. And Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, let's give them their Hebrew names, 
said to Nebuchadnezzar, our God can deliver us from this. But if not, we will still trust him. And I know that God can solve every emotional difficulty we have. And one day he's going to do that. But if not, I will still trust him. I will still trust him. That's it. Emotional doubt. But what I find amazing is this. Is that the Lord Jesus, when it came to the end of his life, having worked with broken men for three and a half years, said to them, brothers, I've waited for a long time to have this meal with you. He didn't give up on them. We believe in a God who doesn't give up on us. Even when we can't understand what he's doing and sometimes doubt, rage within. He doesn't give up. But one day, he's going to sit down with us and he's going to have a meal. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And by the way, if you were perfect, think of how impossible you would be to live with. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Thank God that is still the truth. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the honesty of your word, showing us that everybody in Scripture had feet of clay except the Lord Jesus. Father, every one of us in this building tonight have feet of clay. And different things wind us up, hurt us. We sometimes hurt ourselves. Sometimes those we love the most hurt us. Sometimes work colleagues or neighbors hurt us. It's part of our fallenness, Father. And then I think of how many times we have hurt you. But never have you said, why on earth did I save that person? Why on earth? Father, in spite of all that we do, you don't give up on us. We don't deserve you. Thank you for your amazing grace. And Father, for those who are wrestling with their doubts and their difficulties, help them to wrestle well and to always keep their eye on Jesus. Father, I simply ask this in our Savior's precious name. Amen.